My parents always took me to church as a little boy, actually from the time I was an infant all the way up through high school. I'm sorry to say I don't remember. I, they took me to Sunday school, and I don't remember anything at all about Sunday school all those years. I wasn't a Christian. It was a, a liberal mainline denomination in downtown Wichita, Kansas. Um, I do remember a couple of things that happened when I was about 10. I have a grandson, Joshua. Isn't he going to turn 10? It's just about Joshua's age. And uh, I, we met together as a group, all these kids, and we were welcomed, and we sang a couple songs, and then we broke up and, and went to our individual Sunday school classes. And uh, I remember one Sunday morning, I was in the second row, and we had these little teeny chairs about this size, and, uh, you know, we were all standing there, and we were welcomed, and we sang a couple of little songs, and then we were supposed to sit down while we prayed, and I grabbed the chair behind the little girl in front of me and pulled it all the way back to my aisle. So as we sat down, you guessed it, she sat down and there was no chair there. Now, I remember the bad thing I did. I don't remember anything else about Sunday school all those years except for one other thing, and it's what I'm going to talk about this morning. I remember my fifth, I, the, only, the only Sunday school teacher I remember or the only name I remember was Mr. Sherman. And he required, and it was a classroom of boys. Only boys were in the class back then. And he required us all to memorize the books of the Bible. I still know them today, and it was him that had us memorize them. But the thing that I remember most about it was, he said, if you ever want to read in the book of Psalms, he said, take your Bible and hold it like this and divide it exactly in the middle. Now, the Bibles today, they've got tons of concordance and summary and study notes and everything in the back. So back then, it was the Bible was the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Didn't have all that. But it's true. When you take your Bible and divide it in the middle, you're going to open up to the book of Psalms. So that's what I remember as a boy. If you want to find the book of Psalms, you just let it fall open in the middle, and that's where you're going to find it. Now, when I became a teenager, I came to Christ, and I actually started reading my Bible. And this is what I remember about starting to read my Bible is that when I read Psalms, something was different. It was different than reading the law, the prophets, the historical books, even the New Testament. There was sort of a, a warm, fuzzy feel. It was relational. It was intimate. I felt like there was something going on between me and God. Then I went to Bible college, and now I'm in my early 20s, and uh, I'm studying, and I find out that all these Psalms are ancient Hebrew songs. There were temple songs, and there were uh, historical psalms. There were prayers, petitions. There were laments. There were all kinds of uh, different things that you could read. There were national prayers, corporate and individual, all of that going on. The uh, Hebrew for the title of psalms, if you know the Hebrew, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's Sefer Telhillim. Sefer Telhillim, and it means book of praises. Book of praises. Now, we know that most of the Psalms were written by David. Not all of them. You know, uh, the sons of Korah, Asaph, others wrote them. But most of them were written by, the, uh, by David. And there's a passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel 23, 1, which uh, you'll be able to read here in just a minute. And it says, These are the last words of David, the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed 
by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs, the Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. David, in writing his final words, actually says that in his songs, the Spirit of the Lord was upon them. So when you read the Psalms, you're going to be reading something that is authored by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, there's a couple of other facts about the book of Psalms that I'd like you to be aware of. One of them is there's, there's exactly, I understand, 283 exact quotes in the New Testament about Christ the Messiah that can be found in the Old Testament. Did that make sense? In the New Testament, in Hebrew, uh, there are 283 exact quotes of what's in the Old Testament. Here's the important point. Over half of them are from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms point to the Messiah. One of the most famous ones is Psalm 22, the very first line. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's how Psalm 22 starts out. And, of course, Jesus did that when he was on the cross. The other fact I'd like you to know about the book of Psalms is that uh, in worship, through the centuries, historically through the centuries, the Christian church has adopted in worship not only the lyrics of psalms and not only the instruments that are mentioned in psalms, all the different instruments are mentioned in there, but also they've adopted these kind of things, the clapping of hands, the lifting of hands, bowing and being prostrate before the Lord, standing in the presence of the Lord, shouting to God and dancing before the Lord. All of those are mentioned multiple times in the book of Psalms. So you see Psalms, the book of praises, moves us to a higher dimension in praise and worship through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's have a Bible trivia quiz here real quick. This is an easy one. This is an easy question. Just shout it out, whoever you are, wherever you are. What is the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalm 119. It's an acrostic psalm. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. We, only have, we have 26 letters in our alphabet. In the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters. And the Psalm 119 has got 22 stanzas. And each of the eight verse stanzas begins with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, not such a well-known fact. Another Bible trivia quiz. What is the shortest chapter in the Bible? Somebody said it back in that area. Was it Lindsay? <laughs> oh, <laughs> she read my sermon notes. The shortest chapter, <laughs> thank you for your honesty. The shortest chapter in the Bible is only two verses long. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me and read it off of the screen this morning. It's only two verses long. But in those two verses, it tells you three times to praise the Lord. Now, in the Hebrew, you're going you're gonna to see it in the NIV up here. And uh, so the word praise doesn't appear three times, but in the Hebrew it does. So let's read it together. Stand to honor his word. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You may be, excuse me, you may be seated. Um, you have time to memorize that. It's only two verses. Get out your Bible or your phone, your smartphone, look it up, 
And by the time I am through speaking, you could have an entire chapter of the Bible memorized. You can tell anybody you want, I have an entire chapter of the Bible memorized. And it's so easy because it's, I'm going to quote it to you in the King James Version. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise the Lord, all ye peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. It's just that simple. Will you notice with me, first of all, that praise is not a request. It's in the imperative mood. It's a command. Hello? Did you hear what I just said? Is anybody listening? Praise, it's not a request that you praise the Lord. It's in the imperative. It is a command. Praise the Lord, nations. Praise Him, all people. For great is His love toward us, and His faithfulness endures forever. And then the psalmist is not content to stop there. He has to say it one more time. Praise the Lord. And that's what it's about this morning. What I want to talk to you about is praising the Lord. Incidentally, the first praise of the Lord is the Hebrew word, and I think Don's got these slides up there for us. The Hebrew word is halah, and you know what this means? Halah means to make a show, to rave, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Now, I know you don't like that, but that's what, that's what it means. When you read that in the Hebrew, it says, make a show. Be on display, rave, celebrate, be clamorously foolish. The second word, Shabbat says, address him in a loud tone. Address him in a loud tone and triumph in praise. These are just two, actually, of seven words in the Hebrew for praising the Lord. Now, I didn't always want to praise the Lord. Um, the flesh doesn't want to do that. The natural man doesn't. Why, why, growing up in this church that I told you about, I can never remember sitting through two decades of church services. I don't ever remember once an admonition to praise the Lord. We sang hymns, but nobody ever suggested remotely, possibly, that I should take a deliberate, intentional action, maybe by myself or even corporately, to lift my hands, to clap, to shout, to dance, to praise the Lord, let alone be clamorously foolish and celebrate and make a display of myself, such a thing wouldn't have been thought of. The first time I saw and heard it in a little Pentecostal church in Wichita, Kansas on the south side, I, two words, I was shocked and I was amused. I was shocked because it made me feel uncomfortable and awkward. And that's, the Bible talks about that. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was having a biblical reaction to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him and he can't, can't receive them. And it's true. The natural person can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. And that's what I was experiencing. It was awkward, and it just didn't make... But I was also amused. I have to tell you that I laughed when I first saw it. I was, by that time, I was a junior in high school, and I had, you know, I wasn't even saved yet, just a couple days away, actually, from being saved. And uh, the thoughts that came to my mind was ludicrous, crazy, looney tune, you know, this this... This is just not right. But don't miss this. Please don't miss this. The entry point 
the on-ramp to the presence of God is praise, extravagant praise. That is the on-ramp to the presence of God. And where the presence of God is, the power of God shows up. You see, in God's heart, He wants His presence to be central to His people. He wants His presence to be centered among His people, both individually and corporately. Now, uh, let's go to Numbers chapter 2 in the Old Testament. Uh, I don't think we're going to look it up up here, but I'll just tell you the story. In Numbers chapter 2, um, Moses probably wrote it, and he said that the Lord was to be in the center around the camp of Israel. And so if you can imagine a cross, did you know the Lord had Israel camp in the shape of a cross? He had them camp wherever they went in the shape of a cross. And at the where the crosshairs meet of that, at the epicenter of that, was where the tabernacle or the tent of meeting was. And then he had three tribes to the north, Dan, Asher, and Naphtali. He had three tribes to the east, east Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. He had three tribes to the south, Reuben, Simeon, and Gab. And he had three tribes to the west, Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. And those 12 tribes, he didn't have a spot for the Levites out there. You know why? Because the Levites were to serve the presence of the Lord or in the center of the camp. Everything about the life of Israel centered with the presence of God in the middle of them. Even there was a cloud over that tent of meeting or tabernacle. There was a cloud over it by day. There was a fire over it by night. And whenever the cloud moved or the fire moved, Israel would pack everything up and follow it. But here's the important point. The camp standard that always went first, whether they were camping or marching or going to war, the camp standard that always went first was Judah. And you know what the name Judah means in the original language? Some of you know you're not in your head. Judah means praise. Judah always went first, always went first. Praise always goes first. And that's what ushers in the presence of God. You lead with praise and invite the presence of God. The story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 is probably very well known to you. Ammon and uh, from the country of Edom, Adam, Ammon and um, uh, another, another warring tribes, they came to attack. Vast army came to attack Judah. Jehoshaphat was the king. And uh, Jehoshaphat inquired of the Lord. And he said, we need to call a fast and we need to pray. And so uh, they fasted and they prayed, and a prophet, a Levite from the tribe of Asaph, stood up, and he began to prophesy over them during this time of prayer and fasting. And he said, you don't have to fight. The battle is the Lord's. Stand still and see the deliverance of God. Just stand still and see the deliverance of God. Now, I want you to look at the verse. I think we've got it here, Second Chronicles 20, 21, and 22. How did, the, how did this Jehoshaphat decide to fight the battle? After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. How many of you would go to battle 
When the, other, when the other army is larger than you are, their weapons are more sophisticated than you are. Uh, Judah didn't have anything. They didn't have chariots like Egypt had. They, they didn't have all of the weaponry. They just were Judah. They had slings and they had bows and arrows and, and they were Judah. They were God's people. And they went to war with people praising and singing at the head of the army. And the enemy was defeated. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Psalm 22 says, God is enthroned. God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. He inhabits the praises of his people. Praise brings God's presence and it drives your enemies out. Three confirming passages, things you already know about. Saul quit serving the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord left him. And every time that evil spirit tormented him, you know what he did? He called for who? David. So that he would do what? So he would praise the Lord. Sing on his harp and praise the Lord. And it drove the evil spirit away. It drove the tormenting spirit away. That's what praise does. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to, to preach the gospel, to to open prison doors, to heal the brokenhearted. And it goes on and it says, and to give the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, depression, discouragement, defeat, troubled, crisis, whatever it is, the garment of praise to defeat those things. Praise is one of the greatest weapons we have in the quiver of the Lord. Acts 16, 25 to 26, another very familiar passage to you. Down in that, Paul and Silas beaten, imprisoned. It's the midnight hour, not just 12 o'clock at night, but the midnight hour. Dark, dank, swollen, bruised, bloody, in the inner prison, in stocks, it says. Not a single thing to praise the Lord about at all. But what does it say they did at midnight? At the very worst time, at the darkest hour, they began to sing a hymn and praise God. And what happened? What happened? The earth shook and the stocks and chains fell away from them. And the jailer was so panicked by it that he was going to kill himself. And Paul said, hey, don't harm yourself. We're still here. We didn't run off. We're still here. And, of course, the jailer and his whole house it says in the Scriptures, the jailer and his whole house came to the Lord. Praise, praise results in the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Satan doesn't want you to have peace of mind. He doesn't want you to have liberty and freedom in Christ. He doesn't want you to have a love affair with the Lord that results in romancing him and dancing with him. He doesn't want you to, to apprehend that or to understand that. He wants you to feel awkward. He wants you to feel foolish and ashamed to praise God loudly with your lips and your mouth and your whole being. Satan knows. He knows that Jesus himself said regarding the kingdom of God, allow the little children to come unto me for such is the kingdom. Allow the little children to come unto me for such. A he knows that in Psalm 8-2, way back there in Psalm 8-2, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, this is King James, out of the mouths of infants, babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained praise. 
It says in the Old Testament, it says ordained strength. Jesus actually in the New Testament changed the words. He changed the words to praise. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained praise. I have a little video I want to show you. It's only 55 seconds long. You know Adam and Nikki Whitman. And uh, she put a post on Facebook recently. And I didn't know it. I don't do Facebook. But my wife told me about it. And when I heard it and I was preparing for this message, I said, I got to see that. I, I called Nikki. She sent it to me. She told me she was sneaking down the hallway because she heard worship music going on. And she could hear her daughter, Lila, singing. Now, this is a little girl. She's not at a family altar. They're not having a church service. This is just an average day in an average home. And a little girl... How old's Lila? Would somebody here guess? I don't know. She's under 15 and over 10. She's maybe 10 or 9. Look at it, would you? Thank you, Donald. What would motivate a 9 or 10-year-old girl by herself on an average day when she's not going to school to just lift her hands and start worshiping the Lord? You know, Satan is terrorized by your praise. The kingdom of darkness hates your praise. The crowds were shouting as Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. And what did Jesus say back to them? If these don't cry out, the very rocks will cry out to praise my name. Are you going to defer to the rocks because you won't cry out? Because you won't praise him? Don't stand at a distance like Michael did with Saul. I mean, with David. Michael was the wife of David. And as they brought the ark, as they brought the ark into Jerusalem, David, he knew that in scriptures, by law, that it was the priests that were supposed to lead in worship. And he had kingly robes on. So he disrobed. He took his kingly robes off and he put on a tunic, which is the undergarment of a priest. That's what the Bible, some of the Bibles say, he got naked. And what that was, was the undergarment of a priest. And he humiliated himself in front of all of Israel. And the Bible says he danced with all of his might before the ark of the Lord. And the ark is the presence of the Lord. That was the presence of the Lord that they were bringing to Jerusalem. But Michael stood back, thought David had shamed himself in front of the people of Israel. You can either stand at a distance or you can get in and get involved. Now, the psalm that we are using for our text this morning, Psalm 117, says in the second verse two reasons why we should praise him. And it's nearing quarter after, and in my mind, our services were going to go from about 11 to quarter after. So I haven't even come close to finishing my message, but that's okay. I believe that the Holy Spirit is saying right now is the right time to conclude the message. So if I could have the worship team come up, um, just take a quick glimpse why they're coming up. But the two reasons why it says to praise Him, one is for His great love toward us. For his great love toward us. For his great love toward us.
for his great, 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 great love toward us. I have to confess to you, I can't even get my arms around the love of God. It's bigger than the galaxies. It's bigger than the universe. The other reason is because of his faithfulness. And I'll talk about some of this next week, perhaps, if the Lord leads that way. I was trying to find a film clip of a movie. It's either called Twister or Storm Chasers. It had Helen Hunt in it. <laughs> what is it called? Twister. And at the very end of the movie, as the storm's coming, as this huge mammoth tornado's coming down on them, I, in my mind's eye, I see them. They're running across the field. And there's this old barn or an outbuilding around the barn. And they're looking for a place to hide. And there's no place to hide. And they see a, uh, a pump jack. It's actually a piece of steel casing for a water well driven deep, deep into the earth. And they either use a belt or something to tie themselves to that. And the storm hits. And the picture shows them parallel to the ground. It shows them literally picked up and above the ground being pulled away. But they are tethered. They are anchored to this steel casing. Can you imagine a world when there's nothing to tether or anchor you to? There's only one thing. His faithfulness. His truth. Everything else changes. We know today the rules of the games are changing, aren't they? I have sons that play soccer. Imagine if every time you went to play a soccer match, the rules changed. The rules are changing, but there's one thing that is unchangeable, and that's his faithfulness. Praise him because of his great love for you. Praise him because of his faithfulness. Praise him extravagantly. Praise him extremely. Break into praise. Move beyond your self-consciousness and your, your awkwardness. Let's stand together, shall we? That church I told you about that I grew up in, there are a couple things I remember about it, and that's that every Sunday they sang the doxology. <laughs> now, some of the, you, if you're here and you're 45 years of age or younger, you don't even know what the doxology is. But uh, unless you've attended a liturgical church or maybe a mainline denominational church. But it's praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So uh, I'm going to pray for us right now, and then we're going to sing that and dismiss. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that Isaiah the prophet said a child shall lead them. Thank you for Lila's testimony. She wasn't here to testify with her words. But we witnessed what authentic praise is all about. Let us as individuals and corporately never be ashamed to celebrate. That's our name. We are Celebration Center. Let us celebrate and praise you. And as we do, Lord, we pray that your presence will enter this place and your power will be revealed in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you this morning. Let's sing it, shall we? We praise you, Lord. We love you. We honor you, bless you. We extol you. We magnify you.
There is none beside you, Lord, in heaven or in earth. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endures throughout all generations. And we choose to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.